Welcome to Product Mastery Now, where you learn the seven knowledge areas of product mastery. We teach the product management practices that elevate your influence and create products your customers love as you move toward product mastery. To learn about all seven areas and assess your strengths in product mastery, go to my website, productmasterynow.com, and then click on the podcast button at the top of the page. I'm Chad McAllister, a product management professor and your host. Today, we're talking about the knowledge area called market research. Now, how do you know that your product you're developing will actually create value for customers? That they'll love it, and more importantly, that they'll buy it. That's the key sign of them loving it. How do you really know? Have you done the right things to have confidence of these outcomes, or are you wishfully guessing? You really need confidence, and that is why Andrea Ruttenberg, PhD, is joining us, because as an associate principal at Applied Marketing Science, she has helped numerous clients conduct customer research and help them make critical business decisions. The same decisions you need to make, and this episode will help you move from guessing to having confidence. Also, we create a written summary of everything we discuss, along with a one-page action guide to help you take action implementing the practices. Go to productmasterynow.com 477 for these resources. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Chad. I know we've been trying to get together for quite some time. I've been really looking forward to this. Likewise, I think we met a couple conferences ago that we uh, both participate in, and glad we could get this organized. As I have some history with people that are at AMS, your organization, and everyone I have ever talked to is just a fantastic practitioner and has really good insights, and you have brought some good things to the conferences we've been at, so it's great to get together now. Before we dive into all the nuts and bolts, really want to help the listeners have some you know, new tools, some new processes or practices here to help them with customer research. First, I'm just curious about your path, right? How did you find yourself getting into kind of this customer research arena? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think a lot of people in my field, I came to it a bit sideways. So my background is in academia. I got a PhD in communication Oh, several years ago now. I think I graduated in 2012. And as part of my PhD, I was really focused on interpersonal communication, stress and coping in the family, stressful disclosures, things like that. I really loved the research process in academia, but I was really eager to take that process and use it toward practical applications. The specific area that I was focused on was something that maybe 20 other people, 30 other people in the world were also deeply interested in. So I'd spent all this time doing really deep research, having it published in journals, and then it just sat there. Nothing, mm. other academics would read it, but there wasn't any anything else that happened. And so I knew about halfway through grad school that I did did not want to be a professor. That's what they were training us for. And I wanted to do a bit of a, a pivot, but wasn't sure what that would look like. And then I ran into somebody who mentioned he was a market researcher actually for Ford Corporation and talked to me all about the cool research projects that he got to do. And it just opened up my eyes to this world of market research. And so when I graduated, I a few years later found my way to applied marketing science. And it was honestly a thrill from day one, all the different companies that we get to work with and for and help and all the different problems that we get to tackle are really exciting for me. I should also mention I have a shorter attention span. I love that I get to do research projects that take three to six months versus an academic project, which 
can take two years like my dissertation mm-hmm. did. So it's fun for me to get to learn a little bit about a lot of different things. And then most importantly, they have practical applications. I do this research, I share the results with my clients, and then they take that research and build better products and services with that work. Absolutely. I, I love the focus there on the research. The, the, my path to doing the PhD was because I got fascinated with a recurring problem that we were just encountering creating products, hopefully that customers love and not always ending up with products mm. that customers love, right? And it was actually, I was at a, a startup at that time and the founder was going back to do a PhD for various reasons. And she was she encouraged me to look into this. And I, I did it because I thought, okay, there might be some value in having the letters after my name. And I never, never intended to teach and go figure that's what I do these days. But I didn't realize that, that you learn about research, right? You learn the processes of research. And so that connection, in my mind, makes perfectly good sense, right? You learn different ways to do research, and now you're getting to apply that to your clients. And just the domain is let's help them figure out what their customer needs, what the problem is the customer is trying to yep. achieve. And you get to see the outcome of that, right? That's fantastic. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was such an easy transition for me because I, to your point, Chad, I took tons of classes in qualitative research methods and how to do quantitative studies. I took lots of stats far beyond what I even need to use in my job today. And so I just didn't even know that market research as a field, honestly, I didn't realize that it existed. Mm -hmm, So once I realized that after leaving academia or kind of toward the end of my time in academia, it just seemed like such a perfect fit. Right. Yep. And we can make this, we're not intended to make anything more complicated than it needs to be, right? That there's a great value, like just going and standing in the aisle of a retail store as people look for things and maybe interact with them a little bit, right? To get some knowledge. But then there's some formal methodologies that really give us insights that give us that confidence that we do want in decision-making. And that's what we're going to dive into. There's obviously different approaches. You've used different approaches. You have probably seen colleagues there in your work do different things. Let's just talk about tools, processes that you use some, and then we'll narrow it and, and mm-hmm. dive into you know something here to share with the, share with everyone. Yeah, it's a really, really good question, Chad. So the bread and butter of what I do and what my firm, Applied Marketing Science, does is called voice of the customer. That term can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people, so I just want to define it the way that we do. And we rely on an article called Voice of the Customer, written by my co-founder, John Hauser, and his then graduate student, Abby Griffin, in a journal called Marketing Science. And when we're talking about voice of the customer, it's a very systematic, thorough process that includes um, starting with qualitative interviews to really understand customers' needs. And so when we're talking about needs, we mean customers' problems, their pain points, things that we can solve for them. Um, importantly, I just I want to make this point, needs are not solutions. So when we're talking about voice of the customer, we're talking about going to the customer to understand their perspective deeply in terms of what problems we can solve for them. And then we as the practitioners, we as the product managers, marketing managers, whatever the role, it's our job to take those problems and fix them for the customer. So our voice of the customer process has three main parts. Starts with the qualitative interviewing, like I just said, where we're talking to our customers in focused interviews to, again, really understand their perspective deeply. After that, we are 
analyzing our transcripts. So we're what we call highlighting them for needs. We're going through line by line, figuring out what insight we can pull out. From that, we get a long list of needs from our interviews, usually somewhere between 800 and 1,000 unique needs, or I'm sorry, not unique needs, somewhere between 800 and 1,000 needs. That's way too many for anybody to work with, and plus there's a lot of duplicates in there. So we go through a process and winnow those needs down into something more manageable, something between 80 and 100 unique needs. Then we affinitize those needs and put them into groups that go together so that we can ultimately move those needs into a quantitative quantitative survey and ask our respondents both how important and how well satisfied they are with, with those needs so that ultimately the product managers, the marketing managers can really focus on the needs that are most important and least well satisfied for their customers. Okay, so so let me just reiterate real quick, just for a little bit of background, that paper you mentioned, John Hauser and Abby Griffin, I w- was with Abby at a conference now a couple decades ago, and I tried to nail her down on this point because I was confused about what really is voice of the customer. I'm like, Abby, is it what you talk about in the article or is it this larger collection of tools? Because there, there's this great graph that uh, Bob Cooper did once, right, with, on with uh, Roger, the different tools to understand what the customer wants, right? So there's, I forget how many, 14 or something tools on this thing, ethnography and customer interviews and customer visits and all kinds of stuff breaks out. Okay, Abby, what is voice of the customer? And I don't know what she would say today. At that time, I never got a straight answer. Is it what you put in the paper or is it this broader understanding of just what the customer wants? For people that are familiar with tools, as you talk through that, right, we, we do interviews w- with customers, right? And then we're trying to analyze the insights that came from what we picked up from that. And then we're taking those insights and breaking it down into smaller groups. And then we're trying to evaluate with the customer, which ones are actually important, right? If we address these things, mm-hmm. then we create value. Some listeners will certainly say, oh, well, that sounds like elements of jobs would be done. That sounds like elements of design thinking, right? The, there certainly is overlap here, but the big picture is we're trying yep. to uncover what unmet needs, what, what the customer actually would done and which ones actually matter to them in a way that, you know, if, if your list of 80 to 100 unique things, we can't do all of those, which ones are most important yep. at, to the customer, right? And so you have a really clear way of getting there. Yes. No, that's exactly what this is. This is a, a systematic process to help you go from step one, I know some things, but not a lot, all the way to step, I don't know, step 20, where I know exactly what problems I need to focus on in order to solve the most critical problems for my customers. So the needs that are important, but they're not really happy with the solutions that are on the market today. I think the the just to go back to the conversation you had with Abby, I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting. I'd be so curious to hear what she would say today. I think my perspective, I feel very tied to calling voice of the customer the process that AMS, that applied marketing science does, the process that's outlined in this paper. That said, I think the the beauty of market research is we have so many tools at our disposal. So are there other very powerful tools, like you mentioned, Chad, like ethnography, like conjoint for pricing that can help us understand our customer's perspective? Absolutely. I'm just partial to using the, the term voice of the customer for this, for this right. systematic process. 
Yeah, and you use it for, to mean this specific process, right? The, the one in the original paper. And, and I don't want to talk about things that you're about to build, bring up, but I have to offer this one just in case we don't don't get to it. The key thing about that original paper that people can go, go find, the voice of customer, was it laid out the process, but also it had this great model in there about, well, how many people do you really need to talk to to have confidence that you are finding things out? And I thought this was really important. And I still see confusion about what's the difference between quantitative and qualitative analysis. You can't really trust qualitative analysis because you're not talking to enough people. And as I in that article, it's 20 people. We're really at the top of saturation, right? If you interview 20 people, you're and you may have other experience now since that article was brought out. Yeah. But I've talked to a lot of practitioners that do this all the time, and they're like, Chad, if I get to six to eight. I know I'm good. I have confidence that we're going to do things. I saw Gatorade, the company Gatorade, completely change their direction based on interviews with 12 high school athletes. Right? We we don't need huge numbers to get insights of information. So thoughts on that? Yeah. What's been your experience? No, I think this is such a great point. I will say our gold standard is 30 interviews Mm -hmm. um, is when we start to approaching 100%, approaching 100% of the needs. But you're raising something that's so important. So like I mentioned earlier, our bread and butter of what AMS does is this systematic kind of labor intensive, time intensive, really in-depth voice of the customer process. However, to your point, Chad, that's not always necessary and there are other there are times when it makes sense to not do 30 interviews followed by 500 surveys to confirm the hypotheses that you built from your interviews um, and so that's one thing we've been focusing on a bit more, particularly in training is helping our clients understand tools for getting insights in a pinch. So how can you do this voice of the customer process without, completing 30 in-depth 30 in-depth interviews. And I will say step one in all of this is making sure that you're doing it for the right reasons and, and at the right time. So if you're starting a new product from the ground up, if you want to enter an entirely new market or start working with a new vertical that you really don't know a lot about, for sure that's a time when I would strongly recommend a more systematic process. But if you're just doing version 1.2 of your product, or you already have a lot of institutional knowledge around a topic, Mm -hmm. or maybe you've you've actually already done quite a bit of research and you just want to kind of bring it all together, then there are certainly times when you can cut those corners and still come up with really good, really good research. So I'm happy to talk a little bit about what we recommend in that case. Yeah, that would be excellent. Yeah, I would love to dissect this a little bit more, right? So we got the big structure. We're going to do interviews. We're going to do the analysis of the information that we get from that. And that's going to lead us to them being able to uh, rank or, or rate uh, what we actually work on to meet the customer's needs. Um, so, yeah, take us yep. through more details of that so we, we can put this into practice. Yeah, so in so for our in a pinch process, rather than relying on qualitative interviews to understand our customers, we're really going to rely a lot more on our own institutional knowledge as well as sources that are already available today, primarily online. Reddit, Amazon reviews, other targeted websites which I can talk about in just a second, but that's a framework shift. So rather than I need okay. to go out and find 30 customers to talk to, the shift is I'm going to use resources already available to me to 
still do this deep dive, but I'm actually doing a deep dive into our own institutional knowledge. So step one in this process, so say you're going to lead a, a voice of the customer in a pinch process, step one is to recruit several colleagues to help you. So we generally recommend find between three and seven colleagues within your own organization. Um, but you want to find people with diverse perspectives on your customers and, and on their problems and on their pain points. So it shouldn't just be sales or it shouldn't just be product. Think about marketing, customer support, people that have people in different parts of your organization that have in-depth understanding of your customers. You also want diversity beyond that if you can, differences in seniority, tenure, age, gender, race as part of this core group. Also, just some practical advice when you're thinking about this group, some roadblocks that we've run into. You want to look out for or avoid folks that are likely to criticize or dismiss others' ideas. And you also want to potentially avoid large seniority gaps in these groups. So you don't want the CEO necessarily with a starting analyst who might be afraid to speak up. After you've built that team, step one is really just to do some brainstorming, to really build out a list of your customer needs and to start writing down what your customers' problems are. We generally have people sit around a table for an hour or two and just do a brain dump. I think what's really important as part of this process is that you're pushing this core team to get beyond generalities. So it's not helpful if you sit around the table and somebody says, we need one thing that's really hard for our customers is when products are hard to use. That sort of says everything and nothing all at once. Right. So you want to define what does, what does hard to use actually mean? And as part of that, so do the brain dump. And then there's questions you can ask to help lead the group. So thinking about, you want to ask people to really put themselves in the customer's shoes. What are the challenges? Maybe walk through a day in the life of a customer. What are they experiencing along the way? And also you want to think through different types of customers as well. So, you know, is somebody working in a, a big company, do they have a different perspective than somebody working in a small company? Put on your customer hat, your empathy hat to go through this brainstorming process. Okay, Re really good. So just where we are right now, we're going to create that team of colleagues. So we're, I, I love how you characterize this as, this as the voice of the customer in a pinch kind of approach where yep. we have some institutional knowledge. We've already been working with customers. We can get those people together. I appreciate avoiding just reaching out to sales. And I will underscore that because sales has a different objective than product people do. Right. So we want to separate that. But sales has good knowledge of customers, so involve them, but customers support people, others involve, certainly a product manager. And then do this brain dump, right? What is it we already know about our customer and doing a like a customer journey map and their day in the life and what is it we know now and what are the challenges that they're meeting? Okay, so we're up to those steps. Yep. Yeah. So after we've done the brain dump, it's time to take stock and say, okay. What do we actually know a lot about? And then where are there gaps in our knowledge where we want to understand further? And then step two of this process is to, frankly, just go online and see what it is that you can learn about your customers online. I think for folks that are in consumer categories, this probably seems pretty obvious. There's there's consumer reviews everywhere, Amazon, Walmart.com, many, many different places to get consumer reviews. I am always shocked at all the different places where 
B2B customers are talking online. And, and I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, Applied Marketing Science did a study with snowplow drivers, and we found many forum. well, I should, we found forums online where folks that drive snow plows for municipalities or maybe just for their, their local neighbors were talking about some of the problems and, and challenges that they had driving their snow plows. Um, I have done research for a leadership development company. There are websites, one of my personal favorites is called Ask a Manager, where managers are writing into this website saying, I'm having these problems, help me solve them. And it's a treasure trove of, for this leader, it, it was a, a treasure trove for this leadership development company to say, oh my gosh, we develop trainings for new managers. Let's look at what types of things they're asking about online. Um, so step two is really find out where your customers are talking online and then read and take detailed notes on what you're learning. And what you're looking for are things like pain points, which we've talked about a lot, um, but also goals and aspirations. What What's something that they could wish, what's something that customers wish that they could accomplish in the future or what are they working toward? And also things like product feedback, of course, um, and suggestions as well. So of course, like I mentioned earlier, we are not going to our customers to, for them to build the solution for us, but it can be helpful to understand what do people wish were available, but it's not, and, and most importantly, why. As part of this process, it is taking detailed notes, but it's also taking those notes and then translating them into needs. And so, again, want to stress again that you want to be as specific as possible. So it's not just, I need something durable or I need something with a lot of flexibility. It's actually defining those things based on what you're learning from the customer online. Okay. And then the last piece that I, of course, have to mention because it continues to be a huge deal in the culture is generative AI. And so this is the last thing that we recommend people do is go to ChatGPT, go to Bard, and write prompts saying, I'm a, I work in human resources. I'm focused on learning development, assuming this is your customer. Going back to the leadership development company I worked with, I'm in human resources, need to develop new product, or I, I need to develop a training for my managers. What are some things that I should con, um, consider and see what uh, BARD or what ChatGPT can come up with for you? Okay. I'm glad you included that because it was on my list to ask you about. Obviously, this has been happening more. I've seen others talk about product managers writing prompts to get insights from AI. I hope that we're not starting there. So listeners, if you're starting there, I would be wary, wary of what you're getting. But I do find, and again, you gave the tip of put some context in there for the AI. Tell it what is the context. Th these days, I'm just telling the AI tool, you are an expert in whatever area. Tell me these things, right? And that seems to help me give some more better answers. But I like what I'm getting back to, to just help maybe connect some of the dots from this previous information that we have and stimulate some more thinking. If I got a new insight from it, I would probably want to verify that. That's actually a real thing, but yep. it's helping to tie some things together. Yes, exactly. Yeah. My perspective is this generative AI can be a fantastic tool, but I think it's most, I think where there's real value is in your institutional knowledge with that the brainstorming, collecting everything that you already know as a company. So the institutional knowledge 
And then just looking where people are talking online, because those are in the moment conversations where people have something to say. So there can be some really good insights in there that you might not get otherwise. And then sure, let, let's see if ChatGPT or, or Bard can help us fill in some of the blanks. All right. Okay. Very good. Okay, so after you've gone through that process, which depending on your organization, depending on your your other priorities, could take anywhere from a week uh, to maybe a, a, a couple of weeks if you have a lot on your plate that you're you're balancing. It's time to take stock again. Look through all of the unique needs that you have. Do, again, question is, does it feel like there are things missing? And here's where we might recommend doing a couple of interviews to round things out. Your goal with the interviews is to confirm that the list of needs that you've developed or that you've come up with is comprehensive. The other piece that I haven't mentioned that's really important when it comes to voice of the customer is that you're actually using your customer's voice. And by that, I mean, you're using the language that your customers are really speaking. So often when I'm working with clients, they'll take a need that a customer gave them the way a customer would talk, and then they're translating it into their own internal jargon or their own internal business speak. We want to avoid that with voice of the customer, because again, we're putting on our empathy hat. We're really trying to steep ourselves in the customer's perspective. And so the other benefit of the customer interview is that while you're talking to them, understanding their perspective, perhaps talking them through some of the needs that you found, you can figure out like, oh, this need that I reworded actually doesn't make sense to them because this is my company jargon. Right. For this part of the process, we generally recommend between two and five interviews. So it's, it's just a few. It goes back to what you were saying, Chad, with, I think you said Gatorade did a few more than that, but it's not a lot. It's not 30 interviews. Again, it can help you confirm that you've you've heard everything. And, and what you're really looking for here is, I think you brought this up earlier, Chad, but this idea of saturation. So mm. am I learning anything new? If you do these two to five interviews and you learn a whole lot new, that might be a sign that it's not a time to do an in-a-pinch project, but that it's time to do a more in-depth, systematic voice of the customer project. If they're basically confirming what you already knew, then I think you can feel really good about uh, really good about your process. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, at that point, like you said, if we're, so saturation is simpler, we're hearing the same thing over and over, right? It's like we're there. And if we hear something unique, it could mean that maybe we did actually miss it and the customers were looking, but maybe there's a, real, a, a strong segment there that needs special attention from us. And those are fantastic opportunities. If we find a sub-segment of customers with a different perspective on needs, probably no one else is addressing that, right? And we've uncovered gold that we can go after and, and do something meaningful there. So I, I like that you brought up that point. Okay, so so we now have language in their, the customer's actual language, really important, not in our customer jargon. And we know what yeah. they need done. Where do we go with this now, right? Uh, how do we turn this into that practical thing that is going to create value for the customer? Yeah, so you have a couple different options at this point. So the in a pinch is primarily to replace those 30 qualitative interviews. So rather than spending 12 to 16 weeks doing your in-depth interviews, you can really get through the qualitative portion in one to th one to three weeks. From there, you're still making sure that you're building that comprehensive set of needs. 
and then bringing that's the piece that you're bringing into the quantitative bringing into the quantitative survey so that you can understand exactly which needs to focus on now i will say i i really like that quantitative portion because it helps us focus in on the right the exact right problem at applied marketing science we do have customers that stop with that comprehensive list of needs and i it, that in itself can have a lot of value because it reminds you of everything that your customers are thinking about and that they need to deal with. I love telling the story of we had a client that it's very common with that comprehensive list of needs that our clients will give it some graphic treatment so that it looks it looks really nice. It's not uncommon for custom our clients to put those put posters of their customers' needs up around uh, their office or around a conference room. Mm -hmm. The story I love to tell is that during the pandemic, we had a client who valued that list of customer needs so much that she literally put a poster size needs document up in her living room where she was working during the pandemic. So she wouldn't ever forget, even working from home, what it was like for her customers. So it's not absolutely um, imperative that people go to the quantitative phase. Even just stopping with all of the needs can provide a lot of value. The, the quantitative phase helps you take it that one step further, though, and really home in on the right needs to solve. Right. Okay. So the, the quantitative survey that we would do with customers is to take the needs that we've uncovered at this point, and we're really trying to identify which ones are most important to them. And like sometimes I've seen surveys, and I want you to correct me if, if you guys think about this differently. <laughs> See surveys constructed that we're tr really trying to get to which needs are unmet and which of those are actually important to the customer, right? And we're, we're trying to gauge but what we want to end up with is these needs are really unmet and they're really important to the customer. Let's try to address those, right? That yes, and that's exactly what we do too. We think about what needs are most important but least well satisfied in mm -hmm. the market. And those are the needs that you really want to focus on. Those are your focus area needs. Okay. That's the purpose of the survey. Okay. And so that's a whole nother discussion sometimes how you set up that survey. But we got through a really good yes. voice of the customer in a pinch process where you can take the knowledge you already have in your organization and start acting on that and finding out what are some needs that could still be solved for the customer that you could use to create new value for them, next version of the product, or maybe a, a new product, and find out something new that we can do. Excellent. Thank you for going through that. Was there anything you want to wrap up with on, on kind of that process? Yeah, I think the, the main thing I'll wrap up on is just stressing that there is a time and a place for both of these uh, perspectives. So that systematic voice of the customer um, is really important um, when you're uh, researching or when you have questions about a topic that you really don't know a lot about, when you uh -huh. don't have that institutional knowledge, or maybe you have very fragmented institutional knowledge, still a lot of questions and things you need to understand about your customer that in a pinch also has its time and place. If you just need to get to something quickly, if you don't have a lot of budget, and if you already have that institutional knowledge and what you're working toward is a more minor upgrade of a product that's already mm -hmm. been or a service that's already been successful. Yeah. To, to me, that sounds like we need to evaluate the level of risk associated with the actions we're taking, right? And the less we know or the higher the stakes are, the more information that we need and the higher the confidence we need. So, okay. I really appreciate exactly you taking right. us through this voice of the customer approach. There's an interview that I did with one of the very early people in your organization, Jerry Katz, 
And he talked through the bigger picture. And so we'll provide a link for that because that might be something that listeners would find value in adding on to what we just talked about as well. But this has been great. Really appreciate the insights there and how we can get some confidence about what our customers need so we can add value to their lives. I always ask guests for an innovation quote. What are you bringing us and what does that mean to you? So this probably won't be surprising given everything we've just talked about, but one of my favorite quotes is, uh, it takes as much time to solve a bad problem as it does a good problem. And if you're not working on good problems, you're really wasting your time. This was by uh, Griffin, uh, Abby Griffin, who is mm. wrote that original Voice of the Customer paper, by Griffin, Price, and Vojak in their, their book, Serial Innovators. And as a market researcher, this just really speaks to me. I have worked with many clients who share stories of how they thought they 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 thought that they knew exactly what their customers wanted, often because maybe a couple salespeople were hearing some themes, or a, a thought leader within the industry said this is where the this is where the field's going next, and so they went full steam ahead on a topic, solving a problem that ultimately wasn't the right problem because they right. didn't take the time to really understand all of their customers. Right. Yeah. And this is the whole reason behind the lean startup uh, and where Eric Reese created that product and no one, practically no one bought it. Right. And he was just devastated because the, his, his team worked on this product for six months. And we do that. We build things that actually people don't care about that we thought was a problem. And so the, the, this ties in well to much of product management discipline. We need to work on things that are actually important. And the reason and how we figure out that are, they're important is by understanding what our customers problem is and, and still their unmet uh, needs they're trying to achieve and solving that problem. That's exactly right. I like the quote. Sure, I read it because I read that book, but I don't remember the quote. So that, that's great. Okay. Wonderful discussion. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing, more about the organization there, anything you want to share? Yep. So two things. I am always happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. You can look up my name there and you can also visit my company's website. We're at ams-insights.com. Okay. And I will put the link to your uh, LinkedIn profile and also ams-insights into the show notes to make it easy for people to find those. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us. Really great detail. This is actionable information for listeners. And that one-page action guide will also make this easier for listeners to put into action. You'll find those resources at productmasterynow.com slash 477. Andrea, once again, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And listeners, as always, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to Product Mastery Now, where product leaders and managers gain product mastery through practical knowledge, influence, and confidence. By listening, you are becoming a product master, creating products customers love. Find additional resources at productmasterynow.com. Keep innovating.